Good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Whether you're listening to this on our podcast, whether you're viewing this on Facebook or YouTube, first of all, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to uh, tune in and to listen to God's Word. It's our prayer that God's Word will, will just change your heart today. It'll draw you closer to Him. And, and I do also want to say I miss having the church family here, uh, but I hope that wherever you are, uh, that God's working in your life, you're getting opportunities to share the good news of Christ and show the love of Christ to others. I want to ask you a very important question this morning. The question is this, what comes next? If you read the headlines, the opinions of what comes next are, are all over the place. Not only are they all over the place, they seem to change each and every hour. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus answers the question, what comes next? Not what comes in the next day or the next week or in the next month necessarily for, for our country, but Jesus answers the question in a way that it stretches on into eternity. For most of his life, Antony Flew was a champion of atheism. Flew wrote books, taught at Oxford University, and spoke frequently on atheism. His paper, Theology and Falsification, is considered a classic by most atheists. But then in 2007, Flew wrote a book that stunned the world. He entitled his book, There Is a God, How the World's Most Notorious Atheist Changed His Mind. I, he wrote in the book, I now believe there is a God. I now think it, the evidence, does point to a creative intelligence almost entirely because of the DNA investigations. What I think the DNA material has done is that it's shown by the almost unbelievable complexity of the arrangements which are needed to produce life, that intelligence must have been involved in getting these extraordinarily diverse elements to work together. Now that's the good news. The good news is Flu came to a point in his life where he, he recognized that God exists. The bad news is that's about as far as his belief system went. He didn't believe that Jesus was God. He never trusted Christ as Savior. And he didn't believe that there was a life beyond this life. I bring up Antony Flu because he had a lot in common with the group that confronts Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, the Sadducees. Matthew chapter 22, verse 23, we read, the same day, now this is right after the Pharisees and the Herodians had come to Jesus, and remember they try to trip him up with their question about paying taxes. They either want to get him in trouble with Rome or, or with the people. It says, the same day, the Sadducees who say there's no resurrection came to him. This is the first time in Matthew's gospel that the spotlight kind of shines on the Sadducees, so it's important for us to understand a little bit of their background. Uh, let me give you four things that we ought to know about the Sadducees. Number one, the Sadducees were the ruling class in Israel. They were the ruling class religiously. The high priest was a Sadducee, and because of that, they, they called the shots religiously in Israel. Uh, also, the Sanhedrin, that's the Jewish Supreme Court, was comprised of Sadducees. So they controlled the court system. And the Sadducees were, were pro-Rome. You remember that the, the Pharisees, they were, they were against Rome. 
Since the Sadducees were in favor of Rome, the Romans would put them in, in high positions so that they had a say, politically speaking. So the Sadducees were incredibly powerful. Second thing we ought to know about the Sadducees is they were religious liberals. Acts chapter 23 says the Sadducees say there's no resurrection or angels or spirits. The Sadducees were religious liberals, but they didn't see themselves that way. And that's because of number three. The Sadducees only accepted the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch, Penta means five. The Sadducees only accepted the first five books of the Bible as being authoritative. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The rest of the Old Testament, they just said that that was commentary on the first five books. You could take it, you could leave it, but the first five books were authoritative. And because they believed that, they thought that they were the conservatives. The fourth thing we should know about the Sadducees was they were incredibly wealthy. The way that they gained their wealth was because they, they uh, took care of, they, they, they were in charge, they controlled the temple. Remember just a few days prior to this, Jesus went into the temple and he saw what was going on. He saw how people were being gouged. He, he, he saw how, how the money changers were taking advantage of people. He saw how when they would sell animals, they would sell it at, at an astronomical uh, upcharge. And that's where the Sadducees would make all of their money. Jesus goes into the temple area, and he flips over the table of the money changers, and he said, it's written that my father's house should be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. That's how the Sadducees were making all their money, and that's why they now come into conflict with Jesus, because Jesus is costing them some money, and that's why they hated Jesus, and they confront him here. The same day, the Sadducees who say there's no resurrection came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. The Sadducees here are referring to what's written in Deuteronomy chapter 25. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name won't be blotted out from Israel. Now, there were practical reasons that God instituted this law. Number one, it was a way of taking care of the widow. In that day in society, it was hard for women to, to earn a living. And so God instituted this to, to, to care for the widow. That, that a brother would step in and that he would be the provider now for the family. Second reason is it was a way to keep the dead brother's name alive. Uh, the, the first son that was born to the new couple would keep the dead brother's name and, and, and carry on his legacy, and it would be as if he was the son of the brother who had passed away. The third reason, it was a way of keeping the inheritance in the family. Back then, the land would be divided up uh, among the children. And so when you have somebody that marries someone and then they die, if she marries outside the family, creates all kinds of problems as to who the land 
belongs to. So God came up with this law for, for very practical reasons. But the Sadducees come up with a story to mock Jesus and anyone else who believes in life after death. Verse 25 says, and this is the Sadducees telling their story, now there were with us seven brothers. By the way, I think this is a made-up story. It could be true. It has all the earmarkings of somebody just making up a hypothetical story. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also. The second one also marries her, and then he dies. And the third, even to the seventh, Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they've all had her. You know, I've often thought, if this was a true story, can you imagine being one of these brothers? You're, you're, the first brother marries her, dies. Second brother marries her, dies. Third brother marries her and dies. Imagine you're like the sixth brother down the line. Fourth brother marries her and dies. Fifth brother, you're praying, please hold on. He marries her, he dies. And then if you marry her, it's, it's like signing your death certificate. Everybody that marries her ends up dead. Reminds me of the old Henny Youngman joke. Henny Youngman said a man started dating a widow and uh, said, well, what happened to your previous four husbands? She said, well, the, the, the first one died when he ate some poison mushrooms. So oh, what happened to the second one? She said, well, well, he ate poison mushrooms and died. So what happened to the third one? She said, well, he ate poison mushrooms and died. She said, well, what happened to the fourth one? And she said, well, a skull fracture. She said, skull fracture? How'd that happen? She said, well, he wouldn't eat the poison mushrooms. Now, listen, I can imagine you at home right now groaning and, and, and rolling your eyes. See, but this wasn't a joke to the Sadducees. This was their serious attempt to destroy Jesus' credibility. And their point is this. If the resurrection, and by resurrection, they simply mean that after a person dies that they, they live again. Their point is this. If the resurrection's true, then she's up in heaven and she's married to seven people at the same time. And we know God doesn't want that, and therefore, the resurrection can't be true. They thought that this made-up story debunked what the Bible has to say about life after this life. This was their serious attempt to destroy Jesus' credibility. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, you're mistaken. That word mistaken means to go astray. You, you've wandered from the right path. You're mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. Jesus said the, the Sadducees' problem stemmed from two things. They didn't know the scripture and they didn't know the power of God. By the way, in our lives, when we go astray, it's the same two things that lead us astray. When we don't know the scriptures, when we don't know what God says on certain matters, see, we go astray. When we don't know the power of God, when we depend on ourselves, when we depend on, on other things to get us through, we go astray. It's the same thing happens to us. 
Jesus deals with the second problem first, that the Sadducees didn't know the power of God. You see, the Sadducees viewed the afterlife as just a continuation of life on earth. Same life, different location. The Sadducees were wrong about the resurrection because they had a faulty concept of God's power. The thing that they didn't factor in was God's power to make the afterlife different and better than this life. Jesus said in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage right off. That's different than, than this life, but are like the angels of God in heaven. And that's better than in this life. By the way, Jesus didn't say that when you die, you become an angel. He said you'll be like an angel. Now, how will you be like an angel? Well, angels have immortal bodies. They never die. See, when you leave this life, when you go to be with Christ, you will have a new resurrected body which will never die. Jesus said, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. God instituted marriage in the book of Genesis for, for two main reasons. As the book of Genesis opens, God is creating and he creates everything, and everything he creates is good. The light was good, the land was good, the sea was good, the plants were good, the animals were good, the stars were good, and Genesis chapter 1 ends with these words. God saw everything he made, and it was very good. But then in Genesis chapter 2 we read, then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Finally, something's not good, and God doesn't let it remain there. God comes up with a solution to the problem, and what's the solution? He creates Eve. So God brought in marriage. He brought man and woman together to solve the problem of loneliness. That was one of the reasons for, for marriage. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God said to them, that's Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply fill the earth. One of the reasons that God gave marriage was for, for procreation, so children could be born. Now, why was that necessary? The Bible says that when sin entered into the world, death entered into the world also. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And because man sinned, man dies, and there was this continuous need to repopulate the earth. And so that's one of the other reasons that God gives marriage. But see, all of those things change in heaven. Is there sin in heaven? No. Is there death in heaven? No. Is there loneliness in heaven? No. And because that's true, then life in heaven is going to be different than life here on earth. Things that are needed on earth won't be needed in heaven. We won't need hospitals in heaven. By the way, I'm so thankful for the people that work in healthcare, people that work at hospitals, the doctors, the nurses, the support staff, especially at a time like this. I'm always thankful for them, but especially at a time like this, we ought to be, be praying for them through all of this. But, but there will be no need for hospitals in heaven. There'll be no need for jails in heaven. There'll be no need for cemeteries in heaven. There are so many things here on earth 
that once you get to heaven, it will no longer be, be necessary. See, life in heaven will be different and better than life on earth. Whatever has been good and valuable here on earth will be enriched in heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says now, in other words, at this present time, now we see but a dim reflection as in a mirror, then, in other words, when we, when we see Christ face to face, then we shall see face to face. Now, at this present time, I know in part, then I shall know fully. The word for know is the Greek word gnosko, and it means experiential knowledge. See, the good and wonderful things that we experience in this life, we only experience them partially. In heaven, we'll experience all these good and wonderful things fully. I'll give you an example. Right now, we experience joy. You've had some wonderful things that have happened in your life. They've brought great joy to your heart. But that's only partial joy. It's not a, a, a fullness of joy. It's not an eternal joy. It's not a continuing joy. Those times seem to, seem to come and go. But it's not a, a full joy. The Bible says in God's presence, there'll be fullness of joy. Isn't that wonderful to think about? Joy that you experience in this life, as wonderful as it is, it'll be enriched in heaven. Here we have partial joy. In heaven, you'll have full joy. And it's not just joy. Love also. We experience love in this life, but in heaven, we'll experience love to its fullest extent. We experience peace in this life, but also tribulation. In heaven you'll experience a full and a lasting peace. And for that reason, heaven is different and heaven is, is better than life here on earth. The good things you experience partially in this life, you'll experience fully in heaven. But what about what Jesus said in verse 30? In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Michael Andrus wrote, I want to propose this principle. We won't enjoy less friendship and intimacy in heaven, but more. When you read about heaven in scripture, it always portrays the joys of earth, but to an even greater degree. When it speaks of a river of water, the water is no longer muddy or polluted, but crystal clear. When it speaks of the productivity of the trees, they're yielding not one or two crops a year, but 12, one crop every month. When it speaks of light, it's no longer the light of a lamp or even the light of the sun, but the light that emanates from the glory of God himself. If the best things of earth will be enhanced and made even better in heaven, would this principle not also apply to friendships and family? While Jesus says that the institution of human marriage will end, he never even hints that deep relationships between married people would end. Our family will always be our family, but we'll also be part of one big happy family. When you stop and think about it, this change almost seems necessary in order for heaven to be heaven for everyone. Some of us have deeply satisfying marriages and our spouses are devout believers in Christ. 
But what about those believers whose spouse isn't a Christian? Or what about those who deeply desired to marry but were never, never able to? What about those who wanted to have children but were never able to? There's a hole in their hearts that's never completely filled here on earth. Are they condemned to be single and childless for eternity while the rest of us enjoy marriage for eternity? No. God will give everyone relationships that will meet those heartfelt needs completely. If you never had a parent you could trust, you'll find trustworthy parents everywhere in heaven. There'll be no advantage for those who had wonderful families over those who missed out here on earth. People often ask, well, will I have these special relationships in heaven? Well, and my answer simply is, did Jesus enjoy special relationships when he was here on earth? Well, of course he did. He loved everyone, but he had some special close relationships, even within the 12 disciples. Peter, James, and John formed something of an inner circle. So we know that's not wrong. In heaven, you'll enjoy perfect relationships with everyone, but there probably will be those that you'll be even closer to. The Sadducees missed all of this because they didn't know the power of God. They didn't understand that God had the power to, to make heaven different and better. The Sadducees' first mistake was they didn't know the power of God. Their second mistake was they didn't know the Word of God. The Old Testament clearly teaches that there's a life beyond this one. Daniel chapter 12 says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth, what's that mean? People that are dead and buried. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. You know, that verse tells us that, that everyone will, will live beyond this life. Some will live in God's presence forever. Those who have trusted Christ as Savior received his gift of eternal life. But, but those who reject Christ, they'll be separated from God for all of eternity. Job 19, Job said, after my skin has been destroyed, in other words, after I die, this I know, in my flesh, not just in my spirit, but in my flesh, in his resurrected body, in my flesh, I'll see God. Psalm 17, as for me, I'll see your face in righteousness. I'll be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. The, the Bible teaches in the New Testament that you will have a new body that will be like Christ's resurrection body. Isaiah 26, your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You can't get any clearer than that. So how did the Sadducees miss it? Well, you remember, they only believed the first five books of the Bible. I want you to see the graciousness of, of Jesus here. Jesus could have said, look, Daniel said it, Isaiah said it, David said it. If you don't believe that, then tough. But Jesus takes one of the first five books of the Bible. He takes the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, and he uses the text there to teach that there is a life beyond this life. Exodus chapter 3 is the story of Moses encountering God in the burning bush. Verse 31 says, concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God saying, and here's what God said to Moses, 
I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, how does that prove there's life after death? The burning bush episode took place 700 years after Abraham died. God didn't say to Moses, I was the God of Abraham. Well, but then he died. He said, I am the God of Abraham. In other words, Abraham's still alive and he's enjoying an ongoing relationship with me. D.L. Moody was a godly believer. One day he was preaching in New York City and he made this statement. He said, one day you'll read in the papers that Moody is dead. Don't believe a word of it. At that time, I'll be more alive than I am right now. Verse 33, when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. I'd like for all of us to take away two things from this passage this morning. You can take away more, but at least these two things. First of all, understand that heaven is different and better. We all have people we love who have, who have died, who have left this life. I want to encourage you that if they knew Christ as Savior, where they are right now is different and better. They're experiencing fullness of joy, fullness of love, fullness of peace, all the wonderful things of this life enriched. And the great news for you, too, is if you know Christ as Savior, that that's what this world holds, that's what is, comes next, I should say, for you. Second thing is know God's word and know God's power. Jesus said, you're mistaken. You've wandered off the path, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. You see, we go astray when we live according to what we feel or we live according to what other people say instead of living according to what God's Word says. See, that's why it's so important for us to spend time in God's Word daily. And we also get off track when we don't know and depend on God's power. Every day, depend on God's power for everything. Let's close with what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for the sake of Christ, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When we recognize our weaknesses and turn to Christ, He fills us with His power. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for that each one that knows You as Savior the future holds something different and better. I pray that this week we'd be committed to knowing your word and your power. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.